The Suffering Podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any other major podcast platform. Please subscribe and like to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. You can also find our latest episodes at thesufferingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. Feel free to comment. We may read your comments on future podcasts and even reach out to you for a future guest spot. Like and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Suffering Podcast. Here you'll see links to episodes, updates, and inside information on how to achieve greatness through the joy of suffering. Sit your ass down. down. Sit your ass down. down. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. Sit your ass down. Down. Sit your ass down, down, and strap it, strap it. this is gonna hurt, gonna hurt, this is gonna hurt, gonna hurt, let's talk about the suffering, it's time to start the pain, this is gonna hurt, gonna hurt. It's time time for the Suffering Podcast. Welcome to the Suffering Podcast. Each episode, we walk you through how suffering is the way to sustainable success and the path to greatness. So sit down and strap in. This is going to hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. All new Suffering Podcast gear is here. The show depends heavily on our supporters to get the word out. Let people know that suffering is a team sport and no one is alone in their struggles. Wearing the Suffering Podcast merchandise accomplishes that goal. Check out our store at thesufferingpodcast.com or check our show notes for the link. Your support and love means everything to us. Now I was talking to a friend of the show the other day. Who's that? Roro Antonuccio. Roro Antonuccio. Good the Irish famous, girl. The famous comedian. I've never seen somebody on Instagram so much other than Roro. It's, it's amazing that, I mean, every time I go on Instagram, there's like 20 pictures of her a day. And she's always so happy. You got to go check her out. It's at Rosabella38. She, she's a very, very positive person. Very positive, very pretty, and she's very funny. She's very funny. So you could see Roro at Flamingos and Hackensack every Thursday night, and she wanted me to make it very clear that's the comedy show, not the strip show. There's also dates to be announced on June 15th in Cranford. She's definitely doing July 16th at Tiff's in Mars Plains right down the street from here. So I think uh, Mike and I, we may go to that one. Sounds like a plan. Also check Row out on Jersey Pizza Joints on Facebook and learn the why behind the pizza pie. Don't forget Row Row will be coming in here in July and we're looking forward to having her. How would you endure horror as a job? To do something that's counterintuitive to the laws of man, the laws of every nation, and the laws of every religion. Thou shalt not kill has been on the lips of every human since the beginning of time. Such a universal law has become the most frequently broken law. For as long as that law has been around is as long as that law has been broken. Some may say that there is no good reason to kill. The logical part of my brain agrees. However, let me introduce a caveat in a manner everybody can understand. If you were to make a threat or act to harm or injure my children or my family, then it's game on. So I ask again, how do you endure horror as a job? In the military sniper capacity, they're tasked with the protection of their brothers and sisters on the ground. That's their family. Make a violent act or threat against their family and game on. Now you're going to find in this episode, we may redact certain names, regiments, ranks to protect confidentiality and security clearances. Don't be alarmed if you hear a beep or an omission, as we're just trying to protect those that are protecting us. I'm Kevin Donaldson. I'm here with Mike Felace, and on this episode of the Suffering Podcast, we sit down with Steve, combat vet, sniper, to discuss the suffering of a sniper. Steve, appreciate you coming in. Yep, thanks for having me, man. Before we get into it, I want to read this week's social media question. It comes from Bobby. Bobby asks us, he says, you guys hear some stories about some really awful events. How do you guys cope with this burden? Mike, I'm going to throw this off to you. We get this question more than people think. You know, it's not easy to do. I mean, sometimes you got to put yourself in, in the person's shoes and, and try to feel what they're really feeling. 
But as far as, as, as taking it in yourself, there's not much you could do. You just, you just got to move on. You know, you, you got to talk about it. You talk it out. I don't like to talk about other people's business, but you know, I won't bring up names. You just got to talk to people and I don't want to say block it out of your mind because it's always going to be there. You know, realize that, that life isn't all peaches and cream. You know, a lot of it, it gives me a lot of perspective when we hear these just God awful stories. Bobby, I, do, I just want to point one thing out. And I, I, it's a wonderful question. It's a question we've gotten many different times. Number one, when somebody comes on our show and they, they let everything out, it's, not, it's never a burden. Never once has it ever been a burden to me. You got to understand that people need to release all this stuff. I know Mike and I cope and, and our third partner, Mike DePama, we got some dark humor and that's how we deal with it. It's the only way to do it. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not to be mean. It's just we have to lighten the mood. But I'm very fortunate because I, I do – listen, don't let your ego get too big, Mike. I have two brothers who we communicate all the time. And when something's bothering us, as much as we break each other's chops, we're also very supportive of one another. Because a lot of times when, when you're explaining something really heavy to somebody who you're close with and they lay in on a dig, it kind of like – ah. You know, it kind of just relieves the pressure a little bit. You know, you know what the other thing that really gets me through, though, is the comfort that people have after they tell us their story. When we had Gene on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Guy's 17-year-old son yeah. wound up killing himself. Yeah, I listened to that last week, I think. Yeah. He, he called, he bad, called yeah, us. that was a rough one. He called us after that and said, it felt so good to get out, get off my chest. He said it was the most peaceful ride home I've ever had. Which was a big win for us. Yeah. Coming from my experience. The military, that's that's all you got is your brothers and that's sisters. That's it. Like, it's, like, you might not like them all the time, but at the end of the day, that's all you got. When you're stateside, you know, you're here, you're able to go home, see your family, you're able to go out to bars. But the moment you get off that plane and what other third world shithole that they, the military decides, like, hey, you're going. That's it. Like, that's that's all you got. As a leader, when I was a leader, like, it was, you took everything serious everything and when i started in the army it was whatever you're going through put it to the side you got to like task at hand bury it it's not a big deal everybody does it so you always had a stigma of it man i just wish i had somebody to sit there and talk to me and be like yo dude what's up what's going on talk to me about this or something like that it's it's a support group and that's that's basically like what this how i feel this is it's what? like it's a giant relief because i'm talking to people that and people that are listening have an idea of what we're going through. The sad part is, is most support groups, there's a lot of phony information getting passed back and forth. Oh, I'm talking like, about your own personal support groups. Right, so like that's you what you got. Your friends, like I'm talking about. Let's let's talk about professional support oh, yeah, groups. That's, I think they're I think they're half bullshit. Oh yeah, because you go in there and everybody's got their nice face on it. What you need is that one person to say, especially if you do something fucked up. No, Steve, you did that. That's fucked up. Yeah, you can't love. do that shit. Tough love. You know, that's who to, that's who you need to surround yourself with, and it's honesty. And sometimes honesty sing, stings. Oh, yeah. You know, you know it, it, it's tough talking to a guy that has never been through it. Exactly. You know, you, you go sit on the, the old proverbial sit on a couch, and the guy's got his sheepskin with his name on it on the wall. You know, oh, I graduated this college. I'm a doctor of this. I'm a doctor. Yeah. You ain't seen the fucking shit that we've seen. Bobby, I do appreciate you sending in those questions. Keep sending them in. We'll try to get them on the air. Now, Steve... I want you to tell the Suffering Podcast audience a little bit about yourself. Uh, so my name's I was medically retired from the Army about four years ago. Flat feet? No. Uh, <laughs> traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress. Join the club, brother. Yeah. I joined the Army at a very young age. Always wanted to go into the Army. Always. Ever since I was like knee-high. That's all I ever wanted to do. Was what, was the, what was the draw to the Army? I have no idea, man. I've been thinking about that like why? Do you have family or anything like, that was? Well, like I have a his. My family has a great history in the military. Like most, like my mom's family served, my dad's family served, and if the, my mom's family, like my great grandfather on my mom's side, he wasn't able to serve because he was flat footed. And this was like World War II, so he wor went and worked at an ammo depot in Tennessee and made rounds for the war. So he did like his own war effort back home. So like everybody has did their contribute to the country. But when you're like knee high and you're like, oh, I want to go in the army. I want to do this. I don't know if it's because I saw a movie. It, it's very it cool. Like as I got older, man, I read this book and it was, it was about U.S. Army. <laughs> I was like, this is what the fuck I want to do. This is it. That's this all is, every 
bad this idea is, starts. <laughs> this is this is going to be my life. And then after that, man, I was like 12 when that happened. Oh man, like after like I kept reading books and watching movies. I was watching Lethal Weapon, which is the reason why I want to become a cop. And I'm going to tell you right now, it ain't like Lethal Weapon. You don't oh, just no, randomly fire shots off in the air. And that was like one thing is like I joined the army. I was going to go right in after high school, but my mom was diagnosed with cancer about two years before I graduated high school. So I decided to stay and help take care of her. She passed on on the 16th of June. <laughs> I think it was a Thursday. Monday, I called the recruiter. I was like, I'm ready. Let's do this. We're doing this. And then he's like, all right, Nothing better to get your mind off a tragedy. Yeah. And it it was, you know, what, you got good news about your mom? I'm like, no, she's gone. She's in a better place. Let's do this. And then I went, I went in and I was like, all right, let's go over the contracts. And he's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I've been hearing about this 18 x-ray contract. And that's basically where you come right off the street, go to infantry school, basic training, infantry school, airborne school. Then you go to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, go through this thing called which preps you for and then you go in you go that prepares you to go to selection once you go to selection you do your at that time it was 14 days you do your 14 days in hell and then it's bam like either you're go or no go which is the biggest scam the army has because <laughs> it's a six-year contract because depending on what your MOS is, once you get selected, so like say you're a medic. For everybody else, tell everybody what an MOS is. Military application specialty. So basically it's your job. In infantry, it's 11 series. So it's 11. That identifies infantry. Then you have a letter which or a nomenclature like 11 Bravo. That's your basic straight leg infantry. And then you have your 11 Charlies, which are 11 Bravo is really a direct fire infantrymen and 11 charlie is an indirect fire infantryman which they hook the mortars they launch mortars a lot of people are like oh you know they're they're you're not a bravo dude like chill out go go hook around carry your tootsie rolls like shut the fuck up (laughs) and then but so like if you go into selection like after you get selected they tell you what language you're going to speak and what your mos is and what group you go to is based off of that language you get your language you get your mos so like say you're a medic in 18 delta Dude, that's a, that's almost a two year school, so that's why your contract's so hard. Especially like towards the end of my career in the army, I was realizing like some of the people that they were putting in on were like these fat, out of shape people that didn't know what they were getting into. They thought it was cool, and then they go to basic training and they can't pass anything. They get to airborne school, they fail the PT test, and then they get sent to the needs of the army. Now you're now you're stuck with a six year contract. You don't get your bonus. You don't get anything. What do, what do you mean you're, stuck with the needs the, the needs of the army? So um, you're going to be slinging food? No, no. So you go to whatever infantry unit is low on personnel. Especially if you don't have airborne, you just go wherever. So you could go to Fort Riley, Kansas. You could go first ID. You can go second ID. You can go wherever the army needs people in that MOS field. So that's what I mean by like needs of the army. There's always a job for you, I guess. Oh yeah. Like, especially infantry, like, especially when I was in, like infantry was always undermanned. No one wanted to be an infantryman. No one wanted to go, like people would join the army and they didn't really want to go to, they didn't want to deploy. They didn't want to go to war. They didn't want to die where you have a select few people like myself and like guys that I served with that wanted infantry. I was talking with somebody. I was like, dude, we're not right in the head. We, we joined the army knowing what we were going to do. Like, we're a special type of person. You're absolutely a special type of person. That's something I wanted to ask you. So, as a police officer, you take this job never expecting to get into, say, a gun battle. You know know it's a possibility. You know it may happen, but you're never expecting it. Is it the same way in the military, or is that something that you're trying to gear up for? For me, I knew I was going to war. I wanted to go to war. I wanted to. On the way over here, I was thinking, like, man, why – like – I can't literally say like the reason why I joined the army is because I want to jump out of planes and fuck shit up, but that's, that's true. <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. And I did it. That's, that was it. Like I remember wanting to go in and it wasn't for college. Cause man, I barely passed fucking high school. Like let's not kid anybody. I'm not going to fucking college. It wasn't to like better myself. It was, I wanted, I wanted to be a part of something. And that stems from like my childhood, the way I grew up when I lived with my father and his wife, I, I lived in a very abusive physically and mentally home but that's no different whether you're in the now steve grew up in tennessee yeah we've had this discussion before bounced around from 
the Midwest, Tennessee. Tennessee is what I call home. But it doesn't matter whether you grow up in Tennessee or you're in Newark. Every young person wants to belong. Yeah. All right. Some some have to join a gang in order to belong, and then some join the military in yeah, order to belong. Join the best gang in the world. You, yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got, the, you got the biggest stockpile of weapons anyway. <laughs> and when I joined the Army and I got to my first unit, I went with a lot of dudes I went to basic training with. So, like, I had, I carry, got to carry that brotherhood on with these yeah. dudes. We were in Korea. The worst fucking place you could send a 20 fucking year old kid. <laughs> like, already had a drinking problem before he joined the army. Like, I, like, I tell everybody, I was like, I went to Korea as an alcoholic. I came home a raging alcoholic. <laughs> it was, it was bad. When I realized, like, this is what I was put on this earth to do. So you found your calling. I found it and I loved it. And it, made sense to me my whole life why I always wanted to do this. And like I joined for this sense of purpose of a belonging. It fit in with my family very well. A lot of times like they pushed away, then my mom got sick. So I was like with my mom all the time. And then I just went in and like I just I loved it. I loved every day of it. I can't imagine some of the stuff that you see have seen. Would you be willing to share with us one of your suffering stories? I got so many, man. <laughs> so that's why, that's, yeah. It's hard for me to say your greatest suffering story because I'm sure there's um, there's there's a lot on the equal plane. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind, like like one incident that sticks out to you all the time? Probably the first time I was uh, within, when I mean within close range, I was in the same room, probably no further than me to the wall, and I popped a dude. Just, which, you know, that's my job. Like, yeah. I, I knew that. We went into the room. Guy went in, button hooked, path of least resistance. I came in, which, you know, we flow in fast. And at that time, you know, the dude, second man, which was me, your job is to take out before as he's aiming on you because he's not, he's not worried about what's coming through the door. Right. He's worried about you going in. And I just. That's why, that's why the second man's the most dangerous position. Yeah. That I know from SWAT and, and certain yeah. stuff of that nature. Second man through the door has always got the most dangerous job because the first guy catches him by surprise. Second man, he can see. Yeah. And I just, he was fixated on him walking in. And by the time I even was through the fatal funnel, I was already putting rounds into the dude. Yeah. That, that's the rattlesnake theory. You know, a rattlesnake won't bite the first person. If you're walking down a trail and a yeah. rattlesnake, the rattlesnake will bite the second person through. Yeah, never they're startled by the first person, they go after the second one. Wow. Yeah, pretty... So if you're ever walking in the woods with someone you don't like, you go first. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wear sneakers when I walk in the woods. <laughs> you want to know why? Because I don't have to outrun the bear. I just got to outrun you. Yeah, exactly. Like, but I don't know. If I see a snake, I'm pushing one of you fuckers down. <laughs> I fucking hate snakes. You know, hate them. Sna snakes I can handle. Bats I can't handle. Oh, I can't handle snakes. Like, oh, God. Like, it's just. I'll pick a snake up and bite it in half. I can't take it Oh, bat. man. Like. Big, tough army guys afraid every, of snakes. You get everybody that I've ever met was either they're terrified of snakes or they're terrified of spiders. Spiders, and if, yeah, spiders don't bother me. And if you're afraid of spiders, snakes don't bother you. And if you're afraid of snakes, spiders don't bother you. Yeah. That's, I'd never heard that one. Yeah. Like I, I remember being in a field problem and like, we're all out in the woods, you know, we're playing army and getting ready to train and like, you know, we're sitting there and then like all of a sudden you just see it like, and like, you just see my big ass fucking pop up and <laughs> scream like a little bitch and run away. And they're like, what the fuck? And I'm like, and I'm like, oh my God, no. Big combat veteran oh, yeah. sniper <laughs> screaming, dancing, you know, doing, doing I, a pee pee dance, trying I, to get away from I me. shouldn't throw stones because I do live in a glass house. I had a bat yeah. fall on me once. And oh, man, I, 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 I screamed like a little girl. <laughs> I really did. Like a 12 year old girl, I screamed. It was awful. Like my last deployment was in Afghanistan and, it, um, there was a Cobra at one of the guard shacks, guard towers, right? And they, so they come over. I was a sergeant of the guard, SOG. This guy comes in. I was, I just got done doing some runs for the dudes. Just sat down. It's hot as shit. And sit down. Guy comes up to me. He's in the, he's in the talk. He's basically just a radio guy. Just comes over to me. He's like, hey, you SOG. I'm like, yeah, what's up? He's like, oh, the snake's back at Tower 17. I was like, all right, cool. Go kill it. I'm like, all right. <laughs> So I fucking, <laughs> I grab my rifle, fucking about to load it. And he's like, whoa, 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 you can't shoot it, man. I'm like, what do you mean I can't shoot it? He's like, yeah, you can't, you can't shoot the gun. You can't, you can't use your weapon on it. I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to use? Harsh language and a bad attitude? And he's like, no, he's like, oh, you gotta, he's like, throw rocks at it. Get it, get it away. You can't kill it. 
can't kill a cobra. Yeah, and like, I'm, I'm fucking looking at this dude, and I looked at him, I was like, I don't know if you know this, but I don't have a dad. I don't know how to fucking throw, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I shit you not, for the rest of that deployment, people had little images, because there's cameras all over the base. This dude has, like, this one guy, he has me fucking trying to throw a rock at this snake. I'm, like, fucking 50 meters away from it. I'm throwing the rock. It fucking lands three feet in front of me, and you just see me just getting mad, and I'm, like, yelling at the snake. You see the kids in the guard tower laughing their ass off at me, and they're like, what the fuck is this dude you're in a, doing? You're in a forward operating base. Yeah. They got to laugh at something. Oh, man. Like, it was, because I was just up with a couple of buddies that were with on my last deployment, we were talking about guard tower and, like, how these other NCOs used to sneak up and catch sleeping and like catch them doing stuff they're not supposed to do you're doing 12 hours on this and you're looking at nothing 90 percent yeah. of the time 98 percent of the time you're looking at nothing and so like when i would go up there i'd be like oh man wake up or i'd take pictures with you while you're sleeping i'd fuck with you or worse we were sitting there like talking about stuff and like one guy was like dude why did you ever like tell on us like fuck us up i was like what's the fucking point dude i would be a giant hypocrite well, you know, what? If it, it comes back to the because, brotherhood thing, too. And, like, I don't know anybody. Like, if anybody can sit there and look me dead in the eyes and fucking tell me that they never fell asleep on Tower Guard, I would say they're full of shit and you're a great liar. It goes back to brotherhood. I, In my career in law enforcement, as I got promoted, I never wrote up one person in my career. Yeah. Well, because now, now it he's causes. Afraid. Exactly. But you got. Because now it causes dissension and, you know, that person may have to save your life one day. Well, exactly. And then, like. The greatest lesson I ever learned as far as what a leader should do is whatever whatever they bring down upon you should be corrective and not punitive. Yeah. All right. So if it's a problem where they're sleeping eight hours out of a 12-hour shift, that's a problem. Yeah, that's an issue. That's an issue. But if they're dozing off, it's something that everybody does. So like, degrees. Like, so you, you figure you out how you fall asleep. So you figure out how you correct the problem. Do we need to put a coffee pot in there? Do we need to have just get up and let allow them to walk around yeah. wherever they are, whatever that may be. Punitive would be to go up there and say, all right, you just lost, you know, I don't know how they do it in the military. You got for an article us. 15, you're, you got extra duty, you're losing pay, you might lose your rank. And it, it's stupid. Right. In my opinion, it was very stupid to go out. Like I get that lady, like I get there, the security element. I get, like, I understand that that is important, but you go up there, you catch a dude sleeping, you wake him up. You fucking ask them if they need anything. Like, how are you on dip? How are you on cigarettes? You want, you want some coffee, dude? Like, if I had the night you shift. You correct the problem. Yeah. Like, if I was on the night shift, I'd go to the Green Bean, which is like a little army-type Starbucks thing. <laughs> and I would use money out of my war, own pocket. War, war and, bucks. And buy these dudes, like, a cold Frappuccino and just bring it to them. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, wait, time out. Time out. Oh, yeah. So you're, you're in... Where, We're what, in Afghanistan. What country? You're We're in Afghanistan? Afghanistan, trash Afghanistan. And you bought a fucking Frappuccino? Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, Steve, you were just talking about how the military's changed. And, and listen, you make a strong point. The military now has frappuccinos yeah. in foreign countries, <laughs> in war zones. Yeah. Damn. But, like, on major bases, like, the big fobs that are over there, like, you have, like, PXs. You have the green – they call green beans, but it's, like, a coffee shop, and you can go up there and do stuff with it. And, like, you spend your own money and buy your own stuff. Yeah, I used to take guys – guys that at night and then if i had the day shift i would go to the px and i would buy gatorades and for two for each person and just bring it out to them and i'm telling you like you could see the enjoyment on their face when those dudes come like i got to take these dudes to the tower and they see that i'm on they're like oh thank god like i don't have to look over my shoulder trying to find as a boss you need to look out for them not over them. exactly caffeine is now part of the suffering podcast family we all need a boost of energy from time to time Rather than reach for that fifth cup of coffee or grabbing a sugary, chemical-laden energy drink, choose the better alternative. That better alternative is Caffeina. Caffeina is a delicious caffeine and electrolyte-infused spring water that is micro-filtered for purity. It's a delicious and refreshing natural energy drink that delivers the most vital of elements to us, and that's water. There is no aftertaste, no chemicals, and no sugar. Caffeina is a perfect source for pre- and post-workout, morning or afternoon pick-me-up, or just something refreshing to quench your thirst. Caffeina is listed as Amazon's choice on Amazon.com, and that comes with free shipping. Just search Caffeina, C-A-F-E-I-N-A, or check out our show notes for the link. Put a little pep in your step while still feeling good about the products you put in your body. Stay hydrated, stay awake, stay healthy with Caffeina. And, like, like, one of the biggest problems is fast promotion. 
was you got these guys that would get promoted very fast. Then the power goes to their head. This is further cementing our concept. Somebody who goes through that promotion process fast is no different than somebody just hitting the lottery and becoming ultra rich exactly. in one day. They've never had to go through that suffering in order to attain those each, that each rank. So it's very easy when that happens just to forget where you oh, came yeah. from. You watch these dudes get promoted fast and the power goes to their head and they still, they're just like the, and like most of them are like, or the dudes that got picked on a lot in high school. And you they, know, they've never seen the shit either. They, they join the army to prove to themselves or prove to other people that not even really prove to themselves, but prove to other people that I'm a badass. Like yeah. you can't pick on me anymore. And then when they go home, they're the dudes that wear their uniforms to fucking restaurant, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, shit like that we all done, but you know, I did it for free drinks. Like, I'm not even gonna lie. Like. Any airport, anything, like, I traveled in uniform, which you weren't supposed to. I still did. I didn't give a fuck, because I knew I'd get free fucking booze. you still do today? No, I wish, (laughs) man. And you get the free booze, plus you get the board to complain. Yeah. And the women. Oh, yeah, that's, that's like, the first thing I do is, like, I'll I'll go right up, and they'll be like, disabled vets, and I'll go up, and I'll fucking, and, like, everybody will look at me, and they'll be like, who the fuck? fuck is this dude and i'll like i'll show it i'll be like i'm disabled man and they're like, like one person asked me like what's your disability i was like i'm on the spectrum and just walked onto the plane <laughs> got hit with a paper click in our office games yeah. so you you had this one view of the military when when you were younger so that was the romanticized version of what oh, yeah. the military was hollywood version yeah it was, oh so, yeah so it what, was definitely a fairy tale it was a dream that's because when i joined it was not what I thought it was going to be. So tell me the reality. As a kid, like, you know, you watch movies, you read books, and, like, you have this idea of what the army is going to be like. Get there. And, like, the first day you're there, like, everybody's yelling at you. You don't sleep. And then you go, you, like, do your in-processing, and then you go to actual basic training. Everybody's seen the videos of, like, the drill sergeants running up to the cattle cars, and, like, the, we called it shark attack. And they're, like, yelling and screaming, and, like, people are sweating. That happened. The next day, it was like I started noticing, like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I thought, like, drill sergeants were going to punch you and scream at you. Can't do like, that anymore. Like, they were, when I was going in, it was, they were trying to seize out that stuff. What like, year? What year? This was 2006. Okay. Right? We were kind of like a test thing of it. Like, one platoon got phone calls, one platoon got passes regularly. And then they kept one the same. Which was obviously mine, which, cause that's my luck. And <laughs> we got just as much trouble as everybody else, if not more. Like, I don't know if it was just cause of boredom. We were just, or we were just degenerates. Like, well, the worst thing you could do is have a bunch of guys sitting around with nothing to do. Oh, dude, we played Very human bad. bowling. Like, we were fucking that. riding floor buffers. Like, <laughs> wait, you got floor, floor buffers buff- for the barracks? Yeah. Dude. What? <sighs> Dude, because like in base, like we're so on the knees with the toothbrush. That oh happen? no, you still do that. Okay, you All still right. do that. The first time we had to do, like, they called it the kill zone, and it was this place you weren't allowed to step. No one was allowed to step, and like, dude, there was like a quarter inch of wax on it anyway. Like, you could literally pop zits on your face standing <laughs> up, looking down at the floor. That's how fucking shiny this shit was, <laughs> and you weren't allowed to touch it. You weren't even allowed to look at it at first. But I remember when we started doing that, like, there's three, four buffers right here at this wall. And we're over there with doing this, like, looking at it. Like, we're doing it by hand, looking at the floor buffers. Like, what the fuck? Like, why are we doing this? Like, I don't know. It's like, it's just, and it's one of those head games that the army plays. Like, mm-hmm. fire guard. Like, why the fuck do we have fire guard in a concrete building? <laughs> like, what the fuck is going to catch on fire? You know what I mean? It's just one of those things. You know, you watch movies like Black Hawk Down. That was my movie. Like a lot of guys at my age, like that was the movie because that was our first movie of actual modern warfare. Like everything before that was like, you know, a little bit of, you know, like Heartbreak Ridge. But most of it was Vietnam and World War II movies. Like Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. yeah. So like now, you know, we got Black Hawk Down and we're watching it. And like, dude, that's what I thought every day of a deployment was going to be like. And I was completely fucking wrong. Thank God it's not. <laughs> I was completely wrong. I remember like my first deployment. I was on the ground for, I think, three months before I even got my first tick. Troops in contact. First time I'm ever getting shot at. I said it on a previous podcast that in the TV show, Everybody Love Ray- Loves Raymond. Mm-hmm. I- I've had this question before. What was it like to be a police officer? The big guy from Everybody Loves Raymond puts it perfectly. Most of the time, it's absolutely mind-numbing boredom. Yes. Interrupted by brief moments of sheer horror. Yeah. And that was the best definition that I heard. Yeah, it's kind of like that. You're bored, and then the problem with being boredom, if the lower dudes are bored, the higher-up dudes are bored, and then they start fucking with you. (laughs) 
and your fucking uniform's fucked up. Unroll your sleeves. It's 120 fucking degrees outside, man. Like, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> Where's your basic? My basic was uh, at Fort Benning, Georgia. Fort Benning. So that was, when I went to basic, it was the home of the infantry. Now, like, all your combat at MOSs are trained out of Fort Benning. I did that, went to my first duty station, came back. Airborne school, which, you know, another giant disappointment. Like, I thought airborne school was going to be so hard because you watch Band of Brothers. You see what these dudes go through. And then you go. And then I remember sitting on it because I was in holdover. So I had to wait for the next class. And I remember seeing these dudes, like, straight out of basic. Of course, you know, they're all loving Bravos. They're infantry. Like, I, like, a year ago, that was me. Cocky, like, thought I was the baddest shit in the world. And then, like, you know, you go to your unit and you get your shit pushed in. You know, like, you got that one <laughs> fucking leader that's like, you're nothing. Shut up. Learn your fucking job. So, like, I'm sitting there and I'm, like, watching these dudes. And then I'd never been more horrified in my life is when the first day of airborne school we did the PT test and all those, most of those dudes failed, failed the pushups, failed sit-ups, couldn't do a two mile in time. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> is it, you think it's because of, of the army making bad choices on who to send? No, it's because most of those people that go into airborne school, especially straight out of basic, they have it in their contract. They're going, or they did really well in basic training They've or they volunteered for it. And the drill sergeants were like, yeah, here you go. But most of the time, you had to do really well to get those slots. These dudes probably had it in their contracts to go. And they were National Guard guys. Like, I just remember looking at them. I'm like, dude. And then, like, the whole time they're packing their bags, we're getting ready to go start airborne school. They're just talking shit. And, like, finally, I just, young E3, or not young. I was, I'd been that rank for over a year now. I was like, dude, I was like, shut the fuck up. I'm like, you failed. <laughs> I was like, you sat here for two weeks and you ate fast food for two weeks. And I'm like, dude, if you know you suck, do better. Like, go out and fucking run. Don't don't run to Subway right? and eat two footlongs and then walk back, like, and down it with some soda. Like, get out there and do some push-ups and stuff. Like, that's – when I was in, like, I was in an, underneath that – the last – not the last administration, but the administration before that. And, like, you saw a lot of weird shit. Like, you know, a lot of shit was going on in the country. A lot of guys lost their jobs. A lot needed to – been for their family so like you know you'd be like 30 fucking years old 32 years old joining the army joining the army it's a guaranteed paycheck you got your insurance you got the benefits of everything those were the worst those guys they're 32 years old had businesses have families and now you're taking orders from this 23 year old 23 year old guy that knows but he knows his job he's been in the army for a while I understand, like, it's, it, it has to be a hit to the pride. Like, it has to. Like, it has to be, like, a hard pill to swallow to see. I think with any basic training, with any type of military or power military service, if you go into it with an ego, you are going to fail. Yeah. Because you're just going to get beaten mentally. Like, that Like that was another thing. Like, you got the worst, but the absolute worst that I ever had to deal with were dudes that were college graduates. I was just, I was going to bring that up. That go yeah, into fucking, yeah. that go in, come into the army, they do the army, they go in, and their college debt, their student loans are paid off. The army pays it off. Who? what the fuck? Yeah. Man. Like, that's. I like, never heard of this program. Oh, yeah. Like, if you got student debt, the army will pay up to all of it, if not most of it, depending on how many years you sign up. Really? Yeah, it's, but you don't get a signing bonus. You don't get any of that. Your bonus is you're fucking out of debt <laughs> or a chunk of your debt's gone. Much better, much better than a signing bonus. But I remember like being like, we were out in the field and I got this dude and like from the get go, man, this dude, me and him had issues. We were the same age, but we had issues because he didn't want to listen. He thought he could do whatever he wanted. And that's not how the army works. The army, you, you, this is the standard. This is what you do. You don't add to, this is it. And then, like, I remember being out in the field and, like, we're doing something and, like, we're doing training and he almost shoots me. So, like, when we get back, I'm, like, yelling and screaming at him, calling him a fucking dumbass and shit like that. <laughs> and he's, like, I got a college degree. And I'm, like, I don't give a fuck yeah. about your piece of paper. Like, that piece of paper is not saving you. What are you going to do? Show it to the Taliban and be, like, I'm educated. <laughs> like, no. like Unless the thing's fucking bulletproof. <laughs> your college does not mean anything in our field of expertise at that time. Same thing goes with law enforcement. I mean, we had guys in law enforcement who had college educations and worst cops I've ever seen. I'll take a street smart person. Hey, wait, oh, wait, yeah. wait I, I got a lot of college degrees. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Henceforth. <laughs> Door open. <laughs> and so, I walked right through it. Yeah, all right, <laughs> fucker. You go to airborne school. Let's talk more about sniper school. All right, so. Because I'm interested. I'm real interested in sniper school. Right, so it was a joke. 
they were like, yo, man, like, you want to go to sniper school? I was like, yeah. I'm like, fuck yeah, who doesn't want to go to that? Fuck yeah, let's do it. I went, did the physical, or not the physical, I didn't, I don't think I had to take a physical, did I? No, but I did have to take the 530 something multiple choice questionnaire psych evaluation. And then I had to do a one on one with a psychiatrist. I wonder if they do the MMPI or the. I imagine I they do it because if it's it was, a, how, how many questions it was you like say five hundred and something. Yeah, and it, it took me hours to do. Like where oh, yeah. most people are like done in like twenty was, minutes. Was it, do you like reading books or watching porn? And then it's this five hundredth question is it, do you like watching porn or reading books? Yeah. Oh no, you were in a room like this all by yourself with a pencil, and you're just like, oh, fuck, I skipped one. God damn it! And then like, dude, you, you get so yeah. bored, and I'm just like, see, like make a smiley face, like I'm just fucking. <laughs> obviously, I passed it talked with the psychiatrist for a little bit you know she asked like she asked like really hard questions sometimes you know and she was like like one of the questions that will always stick with me to this day is what happens if you're there you're watching you make the shot the round goes through and it kills his wife what do you think of that And i'm like that's called collateral damage you're not oblivious of what's going on in the world you can't be that oblivious like if you know he's a bad guy and you know people are going to want to kill him you're putting yourself in danger just by being around him in my opinion, like right. that's how I look at it. He's a bad guy. I'm sure he's got a bad wife too. Or yeah, he surrounds like, himself with bad people. I did that. Passed it. I come back. I'm like, oh, I'm ready. I got all the papers. I'm like, I'm ready to go. When's my date? And they're like, oh shit, man. We. <laughs> I'm like, what? We don't have slots. And he's like, oh. He's like, we'll get you a slot. I'm like, all right. So then I go down. That was probably what I had in mind of sniper school being was probably on par with any other thing. Like it was just like out in the dirt shooting all day, all day, running and gunning all day, just fucking learning shit, the ballistics, like just constant, like they constantly were, you learn so much. Wind speed. I bet you, I bet you, you're you're dope. Like you do, you get what gravity is and how far it falls. Yeah. And then you got like your cold bore, warm bore, like just everything you can think of that involves shooting. And then like, they started talking about math and then I'm like, fuck. (laughs) Cause like I'm. Like, dude, I barely passed high school. Division makes my brain hurt. I'm like, fuck, man, can I take off my boots and fucking, <laughs> you know, count my toes? And then, like... Line up your rounds and start n- counting the rounds. Next thing you know, they fucking hand me this sheet. And it's a fucking cheat sheet. And they showed me exactly how to do it. And I'm like, yes, golden. This is awesome. So I went and I did a specialty school. I went to that. It was... It's supposed to be like an eight-week school. Obviously, made it an 84-day school. <laughs> 80-something day, I think. It now, was. this specialty school, we're going to leave this one out, but this is a very sought-after, well-respected very, specialty very, school. Very, like, it's... It's it one sucks. of those schools where you come out and you could wear it as a badge of honor. Yeah. I think and that's the best way to put it. And that. it sucks. Like, there's no... Like, I don't, I don't remember one good time during it. I met some friends, made some great friends there, but I hated it. Every fucking minute of it. So, anytime you wanted to quit it? Every day. Yeah. Every day, all day. And How, what kept you from quitting? pride that like i i remember sitting up and like fuck this i quit and then like you'd hear the fucking dude come on the instructor come over and i'm like oh fuck you know (laughs) get back down doing what i'm supposed to every day all day like i was talking myself out of not quitting and then it went to meals i have breakfast okay then what motivated me for the next thing was dinner yeah that's that's what got me through it you You know the line in the sand and it was just like, I took it at small steps. Mm-hmm. Like I remember first going in there, like I counted Fridays, like I did in basic training. You know, I have fucking 15 more Fridays. I have 14 more Fridays. Cause if you go weeks, it sounds, yeah. <laughs> it sounds bad and it takes, and, but if you go days, it's even worse. But I went and then I got, I had to redo one part of the school, which sucked. I remember graduating. I knew my life was complete. Like, so you and, went to the sniper school, then this specialty yeah. school. Now you got some value. Yeah. And then I went to a selection, got picked up on that, went to another unit that you had to be selected to go to. And that's, and then I deployed with them and oh my God, man, like it was, that's what the fucking army I wanted to be a Not, part non-stop. of. Every morning, all day, all over. Like it was, man, like I, I loved that. Like it was, it was just, and like everybody wanted to be there. Everybody wanted to be there wasn't like oh i got four more years and then i'm out no it was we have fucking three more months and then we're deploying and we're gonna fuck shit up <laughs> and i'm like yes i deployed with them like i went to another third world fucking shithole known as iraq you know at this time it was it was a different part of the war it was like trying to stop the fighting we're going with winning the hearts and minds of our enemy 
because that's what we need to do. Because we nego- we don't negotiate with terrorists. We just make them feel good, good people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I always said, like, oh, let's win their hearts and minds with two to the heart and one to the head. Like, that's, mm, that's, that's how I looked at it. I realized very fast on that deployment, I hated being a sniper. I had zero fucking patience. And that was the worst thing for well, me. Well, that's all it is. Like, it was, you would get in an overwatch and you would sit there and you would either wait for dudes coming in, reinforcements coming in, or squirters. The guys leaving the fight. They'd shoot, drop their weapons, take off. Or some of them, if I was lucky, they'd, they'd carry a weapon. I'd be able to do my job. Well, there, there's a whole process to being able to do your job as a it, sniper. It was, I loved it, but I hated it more than I loved it, if that makes any sense. You would sit there and you'd watch an engagement happen. You would watch these dudes roll up, do a raid, kick in doors. I want to do that. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be up here. I want to do that. And then they're like vehicle coming in like 12 o'clock. Yeah. Cleared hot. They're like, take it. And And then next thing you know, the vehicle's dead. And then we're watching the dudes coming out. The way they always taught us was don't shoot, like try not to shoot the driver unless they speed up. But the engine is a bigger target than the driver. That's moot. And it's a moving target. So you try to hit the engine and try to stop it that way. Cause it could be some dude who took the wrong turn. You know, he could have his family in there. Mm -hmm. And then if you take out the driver, you know, you just, Wiped out a hole. You have a whole car accident, and then that's on your conscience. Aim small, miss small type thing. Like, you shoot the engine. You know, it might take a couple shots for it to, like, but, you know, eventually it's going to stop. And another thing was VVIDs, vehicle-borne IEDs, where they just pack the shit full of explosives, HME, homemade explosives, or some kind of rocket round or an artillery round. And then they drive it up and fucking blow the shit out of us. (laughs) And, like, and then that's another problem. Doing that was, it was a lot of, it was more mental than physical for me. Taking somebody else's life, that's hard. I think the hard part would be having to go back and do it again. And it's... To me, anyway. But it wasn't like, I'm very proud of what I did in the Army. Honest to God, I've, I've literally had multiple people tell me like, dude, if the war ever ends, they're going to put you in the basement at Fort Benning in a glass fucking box, and it's going to be captured break. next to it, break in case of war. The Suffering Podcast family has grown. The Hackensack Brewing Company is an American success story. Born in the basement and developed by true beer practitioners, the Hackensack Brewing Company has emerged as a leader in the brewing community with their four staple brews. The Fairmount Pale Ale, the Parking Lot Pilts, the Musket Haze New England IPA, and the Moments Notice Irish Stout. But they don't stop there. The Hackensack Brewing Company has produced over 50 seasonal and specialty craft beer throughout their history, with the best yet to come. Don't get caught drinking a product developed by an impersonal corporate machine. The guys at the Hackensack Brewing Company suffer for their beer. Without the beer to back it up, the brand is nothing. Visit them at hackensackbrewing.com or check the show notes for the link. Here you'll find their dynamic and changing list of specialized brews. The Hackensack Brewing Company provides convenient online ordering and pickup. The Hackensack Brewing Company. Peace. Love. Beer. 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 I do not see you staying in the Army if the war ends tomorrow. I never really took that into consideration until I started getting out of the Army. When they told me I was done. What the fuck am I going to do now? Being the sniper, like, it was... I loved it. I don't think... Like, it does bother me sometimes. Like, when I sit back and I'm thinking about it and... I'm like, wow, man! Like when I when I when I go meet Saint Peter's, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut a lot of explaining. Got a lot to of do. explaining to do. <laughs> like I remember doing it, going home, going going back, and like after the adrenaline went down, I was able to sleep. I didn't miss out on sleep with doing it. And then the next day, went back out, did, did it, it again. again. So what what made you leave this life? Uh, an event happened. I don't want to get too much into that, but an event happened, and it was a fucked up event. We did. Um, or 2010 deployment, which that was, in my opinion, I still think 2010 was the bloodiest year in Afghanistan. That deployment sucked so bad. Like, it was it was fun. Don't get me wrong. Like, I had a blast doing it. I did what I loved. It was just rough. When we got to our little outpost, the day that we got there, we were about to land on the helipad. The crew chief is fucking yelling at us, like, you got five, you got 15 fucking seconds to get the fuck off my helicopter. You're jumping out. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> hey, thanks. And... <laughs> So, like, I'm fucking throwing bags out and then, Just like... Just the peace sign. He'll, they usually calms him down real good. And then all of a sudden you hear people, people killing machine, PKM, fucking going off. 
And then the fucking crew chief looked at me and goes, get the fuck off or you're riding with me. And I was like, shit. So I fucking jumped out the back. <laughs> so you got fucking rockets coming in, small arms fire going, and I fucking land. And like, this is, we're not, I just got off the helicopter. And then I stand up and I'm like, I'm good, guys. Like, I got your fucking bags, assholes. Get you, Come over here and get your fucking bags. Like, now granted, like, the firing kind of slowed down a little bit, but it's still going. And I'm just like, dude, come on, let's go. Like, they're they're way over there. Like, you see, like, you, they're way over there. We're fine. Let's go. And then all of a sudden we hear an explosion. And a fucking V-bid drove through the front gate. And this is all within five minutes of being at this new location. Fuck. <laughs> so you have the enemy. The enemy. This is part of what I was saying in the beginning. I know it's got to be very difficult to take a life and then do it over and over again. But again, you have somebody driving an IED, a vehicle-borne fucking huge bomb, trying to take out as much as they possibly can. And I bring it back to your family. They're your family. Those people oh, yeah. who, are, who you're in country with, they're your family. Yeah. And somebody's trying to hurt your family. So, hey, game on. Like, if my phone was ringing right now, and it was one of my boys saying, dude, I need you. I'd, we'd end this, and I'd walk out the door, and I'd be gone. You know, I'd be like, we got to reschedule this. Like, And it's the same with them. Like, if I call them, I'm like, yo, bro, I need some help. And they'd be like, what's going on? It's kind of like battle mentality. Uh, I, I correlate it to being on a football team where you have 11 guys. You have to have each other's back on every play. Exactly. You, know, you, you build up such a bond with your brothers, you have to have their back and they have to have your back. Yeah. And, and once you've, you've been through such a life-threatening situation like that, I mean, there, there can't be a bigger bond than that. It's a brotherhood that's forged, if you think about it. Yeah. Like, it, that's what it is. Like, you go through some of the shittiest times well, Nobody understands life. anything better than the people you went through the shit with. Exactly. Those dudes are, we've been saying, they're, they're my brothers. I have a brother, but he's my brother. These motherfuckers are my brothers. My brother could call me and be like, yo, dude, I need $100. And I'd be like, yeah, all right. And my <laughs> homeboy, my Kind of short this weekend. My boy from the army that I deployed with was like, dude, I'm hurting for 100 bucks, man. All right, man. Like, what's your fucking Venmo? Like, PayPal. Like, what? how do you want me to do it, man? How do I get this to you? <laughs> Without a hesitation. You want to run it over to your house? You're in this situation. V-Bed just went through the front gate of your... Our new home for next few months. We got to the little actual, like where the the housing part of it is, like the best way to say it for everybody to understand. So where we were sleeping, like our little rooms and everything. These dudes come up to us and, are you guys for us? Are you, you are fucking attachment? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck's going on. So next thing you know, these dudes are like, get your shit, let's go. And like, we just got off a helicopter. We don't have anything. We don't, we don't even have fucking ammo. <laughs> <laughs> Start throwing rocks so at him like, like the, the snake incident. I told him, I was like, we don't. And he was like, just give me four. Okay. So, like, I'm not going to give up four of my guys without me going out. You know, these guys are, they were these guys. And, like, we were going to attack, we were attached to them to support them. But the way that deployment went was my got shotgun blasted all over fucking Afghanistan. <laughs> and we got attached to these cats, which we weren't supposed to. I just said it. Yeah, we're your attachments because I want to do cool shit. Like, who doesn't want to go to war and be doing cool shit? Dude, we went out. Like, we we got our kits up. They handed us magazines. We locked and loaded and rolled out the gate. Within an hour of showing up on base. Yeah, within not even an hour. Next thing you know it, we were driving. I'm in the back, which, you know, I'm fucking very long. Like, I'm, I can literally scratch my knee without moving my body standing up. <laughs> so you put me in the back of a Humvee. I'm scratching my knee with my teeth now. <laughs> and then on top of it, I got sandbags there to help take the concussion of if we get an IED, which we're sitting there. And then next thing you know, it, I'm on my side. My ears are ringing. My vision was a little blurred. And then it came to, and I have a sandbag on my face because <laughs> we hit an IED. <laughs> and this is all the first day of this deployment. <laughs> is this and, what I signed up for? Well, not, not really the first day. It was like the when we got to where we were supposed to be first day. It, it's one of those incidents I mean, where you're probably like, did that just really fucking happen? Yeah. After you finally became aware again. I remember getting out there. You know, these dudes are high speed, man, but they're... They're normal. They're the coolest fucking catch you'll ever meet. Like you sit there and you watch them and you're, 
Like you see them on TV and you're like, man, those dudes like, you know, they're hardcore. Like, you know, they're hardcore, but they're so cool. Like, they're just like, like the dude was like looking at me, like putting a dip in. He's like, you all right, bro? I'm like, he's like, get the sand out of your pussy and let's go. I'm like, oh God. Aren't aren't you like kind of envious of those guys too? (laughs) Oh yeah. You know, like the guys that have really been in the shit. Oh yeah. That's that's Robert Duvall from Apocalypse Now. Yeah. That's him. Oh yeah. Fuck it. Oh man. I love those dudes. Those dudes were like, I still keep in contact with a couple of them, but. They were so fucking, like, they talked me into doing stuff. All kinds of stuff. Like, I went to after that deployment, and then obviously I didn't get selected because you have to take the D-Lab, which is a made-up language. Back in the 50s, when the UN was formed, they wanted to make a secondary language to everything. And it was going to be this one international language. Like, everybody was going to learn it. And it was a made-up language. Obviously, that failed, clearly. But the Army still uses that to identify how you're able to pick up on a foreign language, like how fast you can do it. So if you score decent, you get harder languages like Farsi and Mandarin and stuff. If you suck like me, you're going to get like French or Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) Like I can't learn a foreign language. Like I've already accepted that defeat. And like, it's not that I didn't try. I mean, I got my money back from Rosetta Stone. They were like, if you don't do, if you can't speak in, you know, three weeks and they're like, oh, I'm like, what? (laughs) Press two. (laughs) But going back to that, it's just those dudes, seeing them, like, that motivated me to do, like, my my fucking dreams in life are now not complete. I want to be these guys. That deployment sucked. I have a lot of fun stories about that, fun times that I had. It was a run-and-gun deployment, I like to call it. It's a lot of stress involved in that. Like, I got dysentery. I don't have a deployment where I didn't get dysentery at least twice. When it's, like, 120, almost 30 degrees, the last thing you want to do is be in a porta shitter taking a dump. Yeah. And and you're sick, and you gotta you gotta perch like a gargoyle. Yeah, and it's well, it depends on when the last time Hodge came in and fucking oh, oh. sucked the shit out. <laughs> oh wait, wait, hang on a second. So I, I got a buddy who was a marine, and he told me about the perching problem, and he says, "Let me explain something. You're in country with a bunch of guys and no women around, and no privacy. So where's the only private part of the base? Right there, the Port of Johns." He goes, you go in there and you don't touch anything. You don't sit on the seat. You perch like a gargoyle. Just make sure you lock the door. That's the only thing he <laughs> yeah, said. Yeah, I, I got caught doing that one time. Well, but he, I didn't perch. I I didn't. I had no shame. I just sat down. He, like, got, caught, he got caught by a two-star general. Perching. Ooh, no. Yeah, no. It's, a, it's a hilarious story. And he's and typical guy goes, just, hey, general, how you doing? Nah. It's like that. We'll hand up waves. Yeah. When was it time to, to hang up the boots? So when I came home from my last deployment, I was in my, I was on my last deployment and I went to a brief for the, the unit and I was, I saw the, the recruiting ad, like they, the recruiter was there, gave his spiel and I was like, I want to fucking do this. I want to fucking do this so bad. I got there. I trained for it. It was a fucking hard training cycle. They, they only have a selection a few times a year. It's not like every few weeks, like it's, it's only a couple times a year. I was going to go in September. I coped a lot with alcohol. I self-medicated with alcohol. I was known as the functioning alcoholic of the unit. <laughs> Just what I want my sniper to be. Yeah. And, well, he uh, has to get the alcohol, otherwise you get yeah, the shakes. You get the shakes. I trained for that, and I was like, look, I need to stop drinking. Like I told myself, I was like, you can do it. You do it all the time for your deployments. Just stop. So I stopped. I wasn't sleeping. I was not sleeping at all. I was getting headaches. When I had my headaches before, I thought it was just hangovers. But it was a hangover. So, like, I didn't think anything of it. Then I wasn't sleeping. And then when you don't sleep, the effects of sleep deprivation is fucking horrid. Like, you have hallucinations, audible and visual. And it got to that point where I wasn't sleeping. And I was constantly thinking something bad was going to happen. Like that. But that's the PTSD. That's a hypervision of sleep. But as long as I had been in, that's normal. It took me years to finally meet somebody that told me, they were like, dude, you're not wrong. He was like, you, you literally, it's not training. That's your life. Yeah, you train to be better and to hone your skills, but what, how you develop mentally, that's life. I understand this is a part of my PTSD is everywhere I go, I keep a pace count to the exit. I know how to get there. I know how to do it. Never, never with your back to the door. This is yeah. creeping me out. Like yeah. this is, <laughs> and never to the back to the door. I you walk. I never, I never thought about that for a guest, Mike. Yeah. I, yeah. I, well, what do you think my back's like this? Yeah. And I mean, my, you got complete, you guys got complete 
you know what's going on. I can't say my son might not come down here and just give you a rap in the head. Oh, yeah. Listen, <laughs> Wait, it's yeah. like when I go to the gym, I'm always in the same corner all the time. And it's because I can see everything. I know the both exits. I got the main entrance. I can pretty much f- keep a flow of traffic with my eyes. And yeah. nobody understands that stuff. When, no. when I go to the gym, I, I have the same routine. I walk in because I shower and everything at the gym. So I go into the locker room first. As I'm walking to the locker room, I scan the whole gym. Yeah. I have to know who's there. You know, who's, who's hanging out with who I, I just have to be aware of all yeah. of that. And like the same with like going to even like target or something. I keep my pace. I know if something pops off. I go down this, I go down these aisles and that's it. And the reason why I go down these certain aisles is because if I run into the person that's trying to kill people, the only thing I can think of is technical. <laughs> and when I get into that, it's. I go down aisles that I can use stuff in the aisles to defend myself because, you know, like, no offense to New Jersey or anything, but your guys' gun laws suck. Yeah, they're terrible. Like, they fucking blow. I get why they do it. Like, that's what I miss the most about the South is you have, like, you guys as police officers, that firearm is a security blanket and having it and knowing you have it and knowing that you have the training to use it and manipulate what you can do with it is a giant security blanket, especially for me. It wasn't like it was a, a second dick. It was, it was a way that I felt protected and I was able to go. Now I'm not going to go out, obviously, like do a mass shooting or anything, but it was, it's there, and it made me feel comfortable. It's the same reason you have a front door in your house. It's not because you hate the people outside of that door. It's because you love the people inside. Exactly, and that's the same reason that guns are around for most people. Now, granted, there are some people who have more nefarious reasons for that. But the majority of crimes of bad things happen with illegal guns. Yeah. And that's the big problem. But that's, listen, this is New Jersey. Yeah. You're, you're in the wrong state if you want to have any type of freedom. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. But back to starting the transition out. So I was going that, wasn't sleeping, having issues. And at this time, the Army was doing, before, if you went and got behavioral health uh, or mental health help, you had a stigma. You were crazy. It's no and, different than police then. We talk about and then that all the, the, time. the army was trying to veer away from that. It took a lot for me to go into that doctor's office to get help because I knew something wasn't right. Well, you, you, there's that fear you step in that door and your career's and over. Exactly. But I was like, you know, they're not doing this anymore. I got all this experience. I got all this time. They're not just going to give me the boot. And I was 100% wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I went there. Ended up losing my chance to go to because I went on mental evaluation and stuff. So that was gone. I got help. Not really good help. They just shoved pills down my throat. And if we've heard similar stories from the VA, I would come back in two, three weeks. They'd ask how I'm doing. I would be like, um, I'd be honest with them. And they're like, okay, time to change your medicine within three weeks. And it's like, what the fuck? So I was doing that for a while. And then finally one doctor was like, so you were right. I'm like, yeah, I'm going over your post-deployment health assessment. And it says that you were never in an IED. You were never shot at. Cause when you, when you're coming home, you fill that out. And of course you say no, because you don't want to go talk to somebody. You want to hurry up, turn your shit in, get the fuck out, eat a steak, drink some beer. The last thing you want to do is talk to a doctor. So of course everyone lies on it. They're like, no, 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 no. I was like, Hey man, if that's what it says. And he goes, you're so full of shit, man. He was like, you deployed during these times and you're expecting me to believe that you were never in an IED blast or ever shot at. I'm like, if that's what the paper says, he's like, motherfucker, we're sending you to a TBI clinic. What the fuck is it? And I'm like, why are you sending me to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation? (laughs) And he's like, no, it's a traumatic brain injury clinic. He's like, I'm going to get you in. He got me in so fast. Like people were on the waiting list for that. And I got in, I was telling everybody what was going on. They were like, all right. So I went through, did the TBI, did all that about halfway through the treatment process of the TBI. Cause they were like, oh, you know, your PTSD is not that bad. Like where behavioral health is like, dude, you're crazy. Like oh. yeah. <laughs> shoving pills down your throat. And these guys are like, oh dude, like half the reason why you're not sleeping is cause you have a brain injury. So let's, let's combat it with like some, um, acupuncture which i was very skeptical about i was like that's that's not no that doesn't work and it does work (laughs) and i got a new psychiatrist and i saw her once second time i saw her she was like i'm putting you in for a med board why like i'm in the middle of this treatment and you want to give me a what 
And she's like, you're going to get med boarded. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> so what is med boarded? Uh, it's a medical evaluation board. So it's basically, they put you in for it. They send this packet out to wherever it goes. These experts go through your packet. If they seem that you're fit for duty, you get to stay. If they seem that you're not fit for duty, you're gone. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, Mike? Been there, done it. Yeah. I knew that the, during this time, they were downsizing the military. The government was. So I knew everybody was getting out. Like, I knew it. And I knew we were all watching it. We've been watching it. Like, all of us. We were watching it happen. And it didn't matter your experience. And it was more like, if you had more deployments, you were more of a bigger target to get out. And it's like, why are you getting rid of all your experience? Why? That's a different conversation. That's a different day. <laughs> but so I got told I was out. I fought it. I fought it for a long time. And then finally I was told, just meet your fate. Take it. And what, what year did you get out? I got out in 2016. Okay. That was probably the hardest day of my life. Second hardest day. My hardest day was I watched my dudes deploy without me. To watch people go into battle where you can't help tough. them. Yeah, that's, that's. To this day, that's like one of the hardest things. Like I was going to kill myself that day. I went, <laughs> bought a bottle of Jameson <laughs> and I meant to buy, swing into Walmart and buy a shower curtain. Cause you know, I'm considerate of other people. <laughs> I'm not a selfish motherfucker. I was going to wrap myself uh, up in the shower way, curtain. Everybody, Steve's got tears in his eyes and he's still fucking joking around. But this is the type of person that this country desperately needs. People who are willing to go through this absolutely horrible shit. And then feel bad when they can't go help their brothers. You know, how many people in the military, if they got, if they were put in your shoes, hey, I'm getting med boarded out. Jump yes. Take it. Yes. Yeah. I knew guys like that. Like, Absolutely. We came, we came home from deployment, my last deployment. This dude, he was like, oh, I messed my shoulder up. Dude, you had the shoulder injury before you even got out. Before now, you even came in, you had a so shoulder injury. Now, you got somebody like you who the VA is putting on tons of medication. You have oh, a diagnosed yeah. TB TBI. Here you are upset that you can't go that, out with your brothers that was and it's just it's like being out it's like being grounded and watching your friends play yeah. and you just got to watch the way it's like it's i was going to do it that day but i forgot the shower curtain because <laughs> i didn't want my roommate to have a mess all right <laughs> and then i was too drunk like i drank that whole bottle of jameson and i was like well fuck it i'm gonna go buy one and then i was like you know what i can't what happens if i get a dui on the way over there <laughs> now i'm just stupidly fucked <laughs> i'll just get it tomorrow we'll just we'll just Pick this up tomorrow. Well, then tomorrow came and, you know, I felt better. You know, I was understanding it. I got told, like, I, got, I, was, I was out. Got my orders. Uh, I remember getting it. They give you this fucking folded flag, a letter from the president. And I just sat in my car and cried. <laughs> Sorry. My whole life was over. Like, what do you do? That, that was one of my questions. You know, it's something you said you always want to do your whole life. Now you, you pretty much lived your dream and your dream pretty much got taken from you. Oh, it was. It Mike was and I struggle me. with this every day. We, yeah. we loved our jobs. We loved it. And somebody told me, you can't do what you love exactly. anymore. Like, how do you, how do you go on with that? Like, There's no on off switch. So I got out and came up here. And I swear there was a, there's an ass print on the chair that I sat in for three fucking years. I was overweight. I quit drinking once I came up here. Quitter. Uh, well, not really quit, but slowed down. <laughs> like, I, I, like I still do it. Like it's, I just, it wasn't an everyday thing anymore. It was every once in a while. Like I was getting help. I was going to therapy. I was doing the VA, the vet center, this organization, Headstrong. I got in with them and I met an amazing counselor, therapist, She's made everything a lot better. Tell me more about Headstrong. Uh, Headstrong's an organization for veterans. I think it's for veterans and police officers and first responders, but it's, they pay for everything for you. And like, you go get help and you get, she has a vet group. That's where I met Mike Tabama. Listen, you want to talk the worst days of your life. Yeah. yeah that might've been one of the worst days of your life. <laughs> yeah, and, no, you just digressed. <laughs> and so, um, I was doing better than I met Mike Palma, and then, uh, and then, um, Headstrong, like they help out vets and it's nothing but good things. And then like, I think every year they do a, like a banquet over in the city. I think Jake Gyllenhaal was there the year I started going to it. Like, that's how I found it. I found it on social media. You know what? We're going to check for a website and what I'll do I think is it's like headstrong.org. I'll put it in our show notes. Yeah. And listen, if I say this quite a bit, if you're having those types of issues, I've been there and I can understand 
you're separated from something that you loved. Oh yeah. Uh, there was... might be other things going on. I always give out my email. My email is kdonaldson at the suffering podcast.com. <laughs> Call headstrong. There's so many different oh, there's, ways. There's so much for, especially vets now, this 22 a day thing. Like the, the only people that are going to stop that is us. Like that's it. It's team Valhalla, right? Yeah. Valhalla or until Valhalla. Until Valhalla. Valhalla. Like yeah. that's one, the 22 project, but the only person, like the VA doesn't give a shit about us. I hate to say it. There's good doctors in the VA and then there's some shitty fucking doctors in the VA. The only thing that's going to stop this, the veteran suicide stuff is us, is us veterans sticking together, doing stuff like this, letting, helping your, brother your out. story out there. So that way you're not the only one going through it. I said, not on, alone. I sat at home for three years. And did nothing. I got fat. I got out of shape. Finally, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a job. So I got a little part-time job. Then I found a gym. That gym alone saved my life. Well, what you did is crawl out of the darkness. Yeah. And then that was it. And like, I did it in, I brought myself a purpose back. Like, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, I had my kids, like I have a, I had a purpose, but it wasn't it wasn't the same as what I had when I was in the army. I had dudes that looked to me to make the decision to keep them alive. And that's that you can't, that's a void that you'll never be able to fill. Well, that's part of the reason we, that's a, it's a big part of the reason why we do this podcast yeah. is to show people you're not alone. I know I can't speak for Mike, but I can speak for myself. I get an amazing amount of satisfaction in getting these stories out, making sure people oh, yeah. know that it, they're not alone. It's amazing. I got started at the gym. Amazing place. Got my confidence back. Lost some <laughs> inches in my waist. <laughs> you know, got back in phenomenal shape. And now it's like, all right, now what do I do with my life? You always got to build that next mountain. Where, what, what am I doing next? And then, like, I found this thing called the Tactical Games. It's like a race. I know exactly it, what that it's, is. It's, watch it on TV. It's like a Tough Mudder or a Spartan race with a two-gun competition in it. Who does not want to do that? <laughs> So I got one of those coming up this summer. And Your inner rednecks coming out, brother. Oh, yeah. Like, it's... <laughs> so do shit like you're going to fight. You pretty much went through hell. Yeah. All right. like you were at the top of the mountain. You went back down into hell, and you're climbing yourself back out, and it seems like you're in the right path. I'm trying to be, man. It, it's an everyday fight, man. It's that's, a daily that's, battle. That, that's it, man. It's just a daily battle, and, and it's... You got to engage that 50-meter target before you can engage that 300-meter target, because that 50-meter target is way more dangerous than that 300-meter target. I want to leave it right there, but I want to ask you one more question. It says you've, you've experienced a lot of suffering, a lot of suffering. What do you think it's taught you? Don't give up. You always have a tomorrow. You know, it's funny. Don't, don't stop. When I, when I came in here, Kevin said to me, I did one of the podcasts earlier and he said, what's in your future? I said, hopefully tomorrow. Yeah. That's it. Just live it day by day. Listen, if you could wake up in the morning, at least get through that day. You Keeping know, your world count, small. Counting yeah. Fridays. Yeah. You, you, know, you gotta get, you gotta I just count days now. Gotta hit, that, gotta hit that first target. You gotta hit that closer, closer engagement before you go after the long one. So that's gonna bring us to the end. Steve, I really do appreciate you coming in here and telling your story. It's an amazing story. You did a fantastic thing for this country. There's people out there. We need people like you. Yeah, I'd do it again. It's people like Steve that make the United States military the best in the world. Absolutely. I don't know. With all woke and shit, I don't know. <laughs> well, let's but, think about all that's the, a different That's a different conversation. <laughs> let's think about all the stuff that we learned today. The 300-meter threat is not as big of a threat as the 50-meter threat. Exactly. And you got to always keep your world a little bit small. Take care of your family because your family's going to be there in your worst of times. Your family's going to be there in the best of times. Exactly. So protect them with your life and be a sniper for your family. People like Steve... We need people like Steve. We need to keep you people behind glass right now. It's a break in case of war. And in every facet of life, we need that. We need certain people yeah. to do that. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I think you did a wonderful thing. You don't even need to thank me. I love doing it, man. Like it's, if, I got, if I woke up tomorrow and it was August 15, 2006, and I had to either go to the green station, get on the bus, go to the airport, do it all over again, or just lay in bed, I would get on that bus and that's going to do it for this episode of the suffering podcast the suffering of a sniper look for us on facebook instagram twitter reach out follow us and we'll see you on the next episode of the suffering podcast thank you all for listening